You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, good morning, family, and um, welcome again to another episode of the Reconciling Hope Podcast. And uh, today, we're going to be having a conversation about our series, once again, It's Complicated, which is a walk through the life of David. And Rod preached for us this Sunday uh, a really unusual season in David's life where he's moving from being a fugitive to starting to gain some power. And um, during, during this season where David is kind of ascending the throne in one sense, he's got all kinds of relationships weaving out and some characters that you may or may not be familiar with if you haven't heard the biblical storyline before. So let's jump right in here today and, and talk about this idea. Rod, during uh, these 10 chapters that you were looking at, man, David is, he seems to be pursuing healthy relationships with a variety of different people. Yeah, uh, Can you tell us who some of those people were and why that was in some sense so weird for David to go after these people and really seek to um, reconcile with them. Yeah. So categorically, because all of them fit kind of in a category, they are members of the household of Saul. So Saul obviously is at the kind of the, at the, the top uh, uh, there. And then uh, Isbosheth, which is one of his sons, uh, Mephibosheth, who we see later in the story, uh, Abner, who was his cousin, um, and then, uh, and, and just, just throughout the story, members of the household of Saul, who honestly, based on their current allegiances, were fully supportive of the household of Saul. In other words, they were prepared to live a divided life from David. And David is committed to some bridge building with these folks. There are multiple moments in the story. I'd encourage anyone to go out there and just read that. Start at 1 Samuel, but if you can't do that, if you can't stomach that much reading, just go to 2 Samuel and start reading forward. And you just see like, man, who are these characters? And it's members of the household of Saul, um, who honestly, based on what God had promised to David, he didn't need them per se for validity of what God had said about him, that he was to be the anointed king but he kept on pursuing healthy relationships. You know, we, we were talking about earlier here that in our culture, it seems like there's this narrative mm -hmm. where um, everybody has haters. Mm -hmm. And I'm not denying that reality that there are haters in our life. Uh, right. But it seems like oftentimes people think, well, these people aren't on board with my agenda. So I'm kind of just washing my hands of them. Yeah, it seems like in this story, David is doing the opposite. You know what? What do you think was behind that, man? You know, as mentioned in the message, I think when you really do have a heart after God's own heart, right? Uh, a heart that is oriented toward um, um, righteousness, restoration, reconciliation. When you have a heart that's oriented toward those kind of themes, uh, being a peacemaker, like you desire peace and restored relationships uh, as a core doctrine, as a, as a non-negotiable above any other, like you don't settle for anything else. And I feel like in today's culture, we're prepared to settle for doing life in separate teams with constant tension around peace 
in order to demonstrate that we were right in the position that we took. Whereas David, legitimately right in, in the posture that he, in the position of king, David legitimately with haters and people who didn't want anything to do with him, still thought that there was a higher doctrine above his own righteousness. And it was, man, how, did I, how do I pursue peace? How do we have peace in Israel? How do we have reconciliation in Israel? Whether that was households or individuals or, or, or just difference in tribal factions, he just thought that peace was a thing to be pursued. And he went hard after it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and Jesus says that just as you said, blessed are yeah. the peacemakers. Now, I don't think, we're certainly not saying, and the Lord is not saying that that doesn't mean that you don't work through conflict right. or you you just ignore grievances. Right. Uh, but it does mean that, as you said, there should be a core conviction. I, I think the Christian perspective in one sense should be is like, we're about building bridges, not blowing bridges up. Um, right. That that should be our impulse. Now, it's not always possible. And we're going to talk about that in the next question here. Um, but that should be the the inclination of our heart, as it were. So what do you do, Rod? You mentioned this, and I thought it was a powerful point. When reconciliation is not fully possible. In, mm -hmm. in other words, um, maybe the person that you're seeking to have reconciliation with, as in Saul's case in the passage, has died. How do we pursue reconciliation when the other party is unwilling or unable to come towards us? I think we emulate the Lord's posture toward us. The Bible defines the unbeliever or the believer, the unbeliever's posture, which we all are born in that category, right? None of us are born as Christians unless we are born again. The Bible defines our native posture as a people who are not pursuing God, not seeking him, not running after him, but actually running away from him. So what does God do? he makes himself perpetually available. There is just this open arms posture and the message of how open God's arms are to those who would place faith in Christ is being constantly communicated, right? Uh, the Lord providentially shows up in some of the lowest places of our lives, not to chide us, but to let us know I'm available. I'm lovingly available. I believe while we're not God and we don't have that same power and capacity, we do have this capacity to be people who are who are ready and available for reconciliation. And we can mm -hmm. communicate that even for those who we can't be in their presence. And like you said, there's some people like, like they're deceased. Man, a heart that is oriented toward a posture of reconciliation creates opportunity for it, whether it be with the person or even their descendants. But I think when we have a, a, a heart that pursues peace and desires that in our relationships, it frees us from just a, a lifestyle of emotional regret and wishing we had said this or that. If I know that my heart is honestly desiring of uh, of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I, I've thought about it in this way before that um, sometimes the transaction of forgiveness or reconciliation is not possible, mm -hmm. but we can always have a disposition of right. reconciliation and forgiveness towards other. Now, you caveated this in the message, but um, Rod, why, why don't you speak about like even cases like abuse and things like that? How, how do we deal with that when, man, somebody has been legitimately and grievously wronged? Yeah. And how should a person who's the victim of that type of suffering pursue reconciliation in their own heart? Again, the so let's just be honest. When we've been wronged, one of the first things that happen is that there is 
you know, there's damage to us, yeah. damage to the character, damage to our perspective. Like we are hurt by that. The hurt is legitimate, whether it be physical or whether it be emotional or mental, there is legitimate pain and there is legitimate hurt. Uh, and I think adopting that posture that desires reconciliation or a posture of forgiveness, even if the person is not a safe one or one that we can have access to or with, that posture actually promotes our own healing so that it doesn't become a root of bitterness that mm -hmm. robs us of pursuing peace in other relationships so that we don't become the person who walks into every other really we want to safeguard against that we would love to have we would love to have reconciliation with this with um, a person who has victimized us but if that's not possible we don't want to aware the brand of a perpetual victim because of that singular relationship. And I believe having a disposition that pursues reconciliation or a heart that is desirous of it, even if it's not possible, we're not asking anybody to walk into harm's way or to reintroduce themselves. You know, if you're an, a spouse who's been abused, we're not saying go there, stay and be beaten. That's not any part of this conversation. But man, a heart posture toward peace, bridge building being available for, for again, reconciliation doesn't even mean being back in the same relationship. I think that's mm -hmm. one thing to be key. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to get back into the relationship. I'm going back to live at that home or be back wherever. I, I think people are smart enough to fill in the blanks here. But that heart posture, heart posture that desires peace is so important for our own ability to go into future relationships, not harboring ill will, not carrying baggage and not being um, uh, not being free to fully trust. Yeah, I think those yeah. are those are key. That's good. So uh, you commented that that David just seemed to have this overall disposition towards healthy relationships, yeah. even in a what seemed to be a very culturally divisive moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the Israelites were rallying around Ishbosheth. Um, and some of them were rallying around David. And rather than David just saying, hey, here's my people, he was you know, reaching across the aisle, extending the olive branch. Why do you think that's important right now in our culture? Well, you, you kind of, there was a loaded term you used there, reaching across the aisle. Uh, I don't know if that yeah. was intentional or not, but man, our nation is divided into as many different slices as you could possibly imagine, right? Racially, uh, politically, economically, um, there is just a whole host of perspectives. And I, and I believe that um, right now, unfortunately, bridge building is branded as acquiescing to the oppressor, lowering your standards, not sticking by your guns. They, these are all false redefinings of bridge building. Man, we desperately need folks who are committing the same level of energy to finding solutions for our most broken relationships as they are to declaring what is wrong. Like we need equal energy in both of those categories. And until we get that equal energy, you're just gonna have, a, our culture is gonna be inundated by competing burning platforms. This is what I think is right. This is what I think is right. And, and, and until there is equal energy committed to building some kind of bridge to get there, to understand one another, to seek one another's highest good, to act in a way that models the gospel, right? I want for you what I would want for myself. 
when that becomes the underlying doctrine, the same thing that Jesus taught, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then to love your man, fellow man as yourself, when that becomes the underlying doctrine, then I think we'll see some real progress with some of the great divides that we have today. Yeah, yeah. And because man, it, the impending election is not going to solve the divide. Yeah. Because yeah. there is there are whole categories of the culture that will perceive themselves as having lost it all or gained it all, no matter how this next, this upcoming election goes. And so unless there is a change at the heart level to pursue bridge building, and, and as we've talked about earlier, the cultural conflicts will continue. Yeah, I think it's a important moment for you know followers of Jesus to declare that their primary allegiance is Christ and His values, right? Uh, not a political party, not even the good old U.S. U.S. of A. Right. Um, not an ethnic group, not a socioeconomic status, but our primary allegiance is King Jesus, right. and we want to embody His values. And one of those values happens to be reconciliation, where we're fighting hard for just and right relationships. And so, man, it, it is it is a challenging time and we need the Spirit's help during this time, but but certainly a good word from uh, the life of David that showed that's always been a tension of, that the people of God have faced. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we talk about that at, at Gospel Hope, we wanna grow in the gospel, that's our relationship with God, as a family, our relationship with other believers, and um, while on mission, our relationship with the world. Um, which of those relationships were you primarily thinking about when you were working through this passage? I mean, growing in relationship with my fellow man, mm -hmm. right? What is, what does, man, what does that look like when my fellow man is radically different, believes and thinks radically different from me? What does it look like? Has every right to be on a different team, for lack of a better word? Mm -hmm. What does reconciliation with that person look like? Mm -hmm. And then, Rod, finally, and I, I thought this was the, the highlight of the message. How did this passage you know, display the reconciling hope of the gospel? How to show us um, that through the work of Christ, we can be made right with God and one another. And you, you pointed to this obscure character that not many people maybe know about of Mephibosheth, yeah. which is fun to say. Yes. Um, tell us about that. How did that point us to Jesus? Yeah. Well, first of all, fun fact about Mephibosheth. So, you know, Isbosheth and Mephibosheth are brothers, right? Mm -hmm. And one means bringer of shame and the other means remover of shame, by the way, uh, uh, Mephibosheth. Uh, and, and what an awesome thing. Now, think about this. Mephibosheth's name means the remover of shame, but yet he's uh, a disabled, a man that's been disabled from his birth, right? Mm -hmm. Um but but never you, we could go on about there's some there's some good preaching material in there but but Mephibosheth is such a pivotal character because nothing about him physically or socially or even economically or there's nothing that he as we call it brings to the table that qualifies him to be at the table right mm -hmm. um, I can't help but think about Jesus's words when he came into contact with the Syrophoenician woman and she made these words that even the, the dogs are fitting to get crumbs from the master's table. And here it is, mm -hmm. David doesn't treat Mephibosheth like a dog, even though he says, "What? why would you invite me, a simple dog, to be at the table? And David extends to him the rights and the latitude and the privileges of not just sitting at his table and eating always, which is a very privileged position, but then he also, in the background, sets in place servants and others who would work the land 
for Mephibosheth so that he would have perpetual resources. It is an incredible story. And you see multiple layers of care and, and concern that is not owed to Mephibosheth. It is graciously extended. And we are Mephibosheth. Mm-hmm. Nothing qualifies us to be in relationship with God. Nothing qualifies for us for even for some of the residual benefits that 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 were set in place for Mephibosheth. And the Lord does that for us. Not only invites us to the table to be in relationship with him and to dine at his table, but he's also providing his Holy Spirit so that we have this constant down payment uh, that uh, a promise of his return. He then gives us his word. He gives us a promise of his return. He gives us, he places us in the body, gives us new brothers and sisters. I mean, the Lord is just all these derivative benefits that come out from being invited to the table. That is us. And we ourselves could make no claim to the table, just like Mephibosheth being a, you know, the grandson of Saul, um, really nothing that qualifies him to be there. And I think when you grip that reality, when you when you grip the fact that the best relationship you've ever had in your life, which is which I hope will presumably would be with Christ, was granted to you on the basis of the fact that you don't qualify. Does that flip a switch for us in some of the relationships that we have that may be distant? or broken, guess what? The folks that we are called to relate to, this reconciliation, they may not qualify either, just like we did. Mm-hmm. And can mm-hmm. we let that, um, can we let that disposition um, kind of melt our hearts or recondition our hearts, if you will, um, in other places where we might be hesitant or tentative to have a posture toward reconciliation, so. Yeah, hey, amen, that's good, that's good. I mean, you, you alluded to this passage where, where the Bible says that, you know, God is merciful and he allows his reign to fall on both the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, that's a, that's a beautiful picture of how the Lord relates to us. Even when we're undeserving, yes. the Lord extends mercy to us. And I think that vertical reconciliation that all followers of Christ have experienced should empower us to say, man, God has been merciful to me. I can be merciful to others. And man, I, I, I had never thought of Mephibosheth as being a picture of us in our state apart from Christ. And what a beautiful picture of Christ's work to bring us in right relationship with him and with other people. What a yeah. beautiful, beautiful gospel preview that we have there. So thanks so much, Rod. Appreciate not only the message, but just your your uh, thoughtful interaction with these questions here today. And finally, thanks so much for joining us. I hope this has been encouraging to you and that it will cause you to seek to display the reconciling hope of the gospel in your life. Hope to see you again next week. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m. or check out gospelhopechurch.com.